0: Well, Happy New Year again. You know, this time of year, people desire change and are seeking change. We like to use the the, the turn of the year as as a springboard for change that we desire to see in our lives. Do we not? Uh, We start new uh, workout plans, right? The, The gyms. Uh, memberships go up during this time of year. I don't know how much they're going to go up right now with, with COVID. Maybe more uh, garage workout uh, regiments. Dieting uh, happens a lot at the beginning of the year. There's goals that are set and there's desires that we have for the year, whether it's physically, mentally, relationally, spiritually. We, we start a, a Bible reading plan and, and we, try, we try to chart out where we're going to, our meal plans, our spiritual me- meal plans for the year. This this is what we're going to be dieting on spiritually in the Word, in our daily devotional. We we use this time as a springboard for change that we desire. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, today. We're doing a series called um, The Way of Jesus. The Way of Jesus. And this is a short series that's that's going to embody our vision here at City Church uh, to know Jesus, to love people, and impact your world. To know Jesus, to love people, and impact your world. So last week we started um, with with the message, The Way of Jesus, and we talked about humility in Philippians chapter 2, and how Jesus calls His people to live humble lives in response to His humility. So this week we're going to focus on The Way of Jesus the way of Jesus, which is holiness. He not only calls His people to humility, and He not only lived in humility Himself, but He calls us to lives of holiness. Now, let me first just begin with uh, something that my, my children and I saw, and many of you have probably seen this. In, in The Mandalorian, the impressive series that just finished... There's this phrase that the Mandalorian continued to repeat throughout the series. And that phrase was, this is the way. This is the way. And when I first heard that, as, as I was watching that series, in my, this is like the first time my, my kids and I have got into a TV series where we actually waited for the next one to come out next Friday and look forward to watching it. The first time we've ever done that. It was, it was, we were quarantined when we started. We caught up on season one. We caught up on season two. We had a, a fun time. But this phrase was something that struck me. And I had mixed feelings about it when I first heard it. This is the way. I like, I like that. I like that. But, but then I also feel like, hey, this guy just hijacked my Lord's phrase. This guy just hijacked... what what, what Christianity is described as in the first century, the way. This is what Jesus described himself as, the way, the truth, and the life. So the Mandalorian had this code of honor that he was committed to, and a part of that code of honor would be that he wouldn't show his face. Um, And if he said he would do something, he would do it. Like, he would follow through with it, right? Even when it was hard and it was challenging, he was like, this is the way. I said I was going to do it. This is the way, right? It's the way of the Mandalorian, right? And as Jesus followers, there is a way that Jesus calls us to live as well. And he, he not only calls us to live in a certain way, but he is the way, the truth, and the life. And we follow him, and we follow his pattern and his way For our lives. Amen? Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul calls the Ephesian Christians to the way of Jesus. He reminds them of the way of Jesus. Jesus, when He started preaching and He started His ministry in Mark chapter 1, after He had fasted in in, uh, 40 days and 40 nights, He came out preaching. Luke uh, Luke and Matthew's Gospel tells us, and this is what He said, Repent! Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Change your mind, change your life, change your direction, and believe the gospel. Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus was calling people, the world, to change. The unchanging one, the holy Son of God, stepped into human history. And He came to change the world. He came to rescue you and I who so needed change. And the the reality that He calls us to change, He calls us to change, implies that there's something wrong with us. There's a problem with us and the world around us. It's broken. And we're sinful. And we need a rescuer. We need a Redeemer. We need change that we can't bring about ourselves. I wonder how many people are going to quit their gym membership when it come February. I don't know what the stats are. I should have looked it up. You know, but a lot of folks start resolutions. They make resolutions. They're excited and they use the springboard of the new year as as I'm going to start some new things. I'm going to make some changes in my life. And that's a good thing. But many folks try to do it all in their own strength, leaning on their own understanding, setting the own boundaries and rules in their own way, trying to make their own way so that when they, when they accomplish it, they can say, look at how awesome I am. And God will let us, hum- let us get humbled so we can see that we need Him because He wants us to follow Him, rely on Him, and follow His path with his, the resources that He provides. And what Jesus, the change that Jesus calls us to make in our lives, he empowers us to bring about. See, one of the things that cha- that's distinctive between Christianity and other religions, uh, other religions call for changes of lifestyle too, in ethics and morality. Other religions do that. But Jesus' way is different in that He comes down and dwells inside of us. He gives us His Spirit and empowers us to live the very standards that He calls us to live. And He died in our place to pay for the failures where we have failed to measure up to God's way. That's called grace. Okay, and we've talked about this recently, Jesus has pardoned us by dying for our sins so that we might be forgiven. And then He empowers us by giving us His Spirit to live inside of us so that we can follow Him and follow His way for our lives. So let's look at this in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and put on the new self created. After the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So here's our big idea Jesus calls his followers to a new way of life that is countercultural and consistent with their new identity in Christ. Jesus calls his followers to a new way of life that is countercultural and consistent with their new identity in Christ. Now, Let me just say something about the structure of the book of Ephesians. Because we're diving into the middle middle of this book here. And we've preached through this. This was the second book we preached through in 2016 when we launched uh, City Church Garland. And so these are familiar passages for us. We spend a lot of time here. Um, but, But Paul, before Paul gives all the imperatives that the Ephesian Christians are to walk out and to live... He reminds them of all that was done for them. All the grace that God has bestowed upon us and lavished upon us in Christ Jesus. Grace that was shown to us that God chose to set upon us even before we were born. Ephesians chapter 1. Okay, in, in Ephesians chapter one, he talks about all these riches of grace that we have. We've been made holy. We've been made. We've been redeemed. We've been accepted in the beloved. God has redeemed us and He's made us right. He's He's adopted us into His family. He's given us a new identity. And this is something that Paul does in this letter is he focuses on the change that Jesus brings in us and then how that is to be lived out in our actions. One of the, the distinctions in, in Christianity between other religions is that, that Jesus changes our identity before we get all our practice down, before, before we get our behavior right. We don't have to clean ourselves up and then come to God. We come to God as we are broken, and flawed and sinful. And He meets us there. He accepts us. He forgives us. He redeems us. But He changes us. The Christian life is a life of change. The word repentance, which Jesus called His people to do, is not just a one-time thing. Okay? The, word, the Greek word means change of mind. Okay? Imagine if you're going the wrong way down a one-way street and you realize, I'm going to get an accident here if I don't turn around. So you change your mind. And because you change your mind, you change your direction. You change the direction that you're going in. The Christian life isn't just a one-time act of repentance. Now, repentance happens at conversion. We change our mind about God, sin, our lives, and God's way versus our way. We, we, we surrender and we put our faith in Jesus. We repent and we put our faith in Jesus. Okay. This is our response to the grace that God has given to us. So Jesus calls his followers to a new way of life that is countercultural. It goes against the ways of the world, and it's consistent with our new identity in Christ. Now, first, let's notice here in verse uh, verses 17, in verse 17 through 19, Paul is describing the old way of life that the Ephesian Christians used to live in. This was their old way of life. These were, this is common among Gentiles who do not know God. People who aren't following the way of Jesus. This is a description. And this description is comparable to Romans chapter 1. If you read Romans chapter 1, Paul unpacks the bad news before he gives the good news of redemption and grace and mercy that we have in the gospel, right? Just like a good doctor is going to, before a doctor gives a prescription... Uh, they have to give a diagnosis, right? They have to diagnose a sickness, right? And then address the sickness um, with, with a prescription. And the diagnosis that, that God has given to all humanity is that we're sinners and we're in need of a Savior, and the prescription is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, let's look at this diagnosis. There's futility of mind. There's a darkening in the understanding There's alienation from the life of God. There's ignorance. There's hardness of heart. There's callousness. There's sensuality. There's greed. There's impurity. The old way of life is desolate and destructive and demeaning. It's not consistent with how God has originally designed humanity to live and be. But this is what happens when we choose our own way. When we choose the way of the world. And the Ephesian Christians used to walk in this lifestyle. This was their own lifestyle. Characterized by darkness. Characterized by sin. Characterized by futility and sensuality and impurity and greed and lust and ignorance. But God. But Jesus shows up and He changes the trajectory of our lives. He changes our identity. And then He changes how we live. He teaches us to live in His way, to follow Him. And this is what we call holiness. You see, God has made us holy through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says that Christ gave His life up for the church to make the church holy, blameless, without spot or blemish. And Paul is talking about that in light of how husbands are to love their wives. How Jesus washes his bride, the church, with the water of the word. And he sacrificially lays down his life for her that she might be wholly blameless without spot or blemish. So the old way of life is desolate. It's destructive. John Stott in his commentary on Ephesians says this. Um, And he points out the intellectual factor here. He says, what is immediately noteworthy is the apostle's emphasis on the intellectual factor in everybody's way of life. Scripture bears an unwavering testimony to the power of ignorance and error to corrupt and the power of truth to liberate and ennoble and refine. Remember, Jesus said in John chapter eight, he said, you will know the truth. If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth liberates us rather than and, and, and sin oppresses us and holds us back and darkens our mind and brings destruction in our lives. And so there's something go, there's a problem here in our minds. An internal problem in our minds and in our hearts. Callousness of heart, darkening of the mind. There's this stubbornness of the will. This describes our old way of life. And then somebody meets Jesus and he changes their heart. We become, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, a new creation. The old is past. Behold, the new has come. And this is truly amazing for those of us who've experienced the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We came to believe Jesus, our life, His life intersected with ours in history in a point in time. And we realized we were going the wrong way. And it was leading to death and destruction and desolation and isolation from God and from others. Amen. And He came in and He changed our hearts. Amen. He changed the way we think. He changed our lives. This is salvation. And one of the things that we see within this is that this is a process. This is a process. This is an ongoing process. There's an ongoing renewing of our minds that's needed. The next thing is that the new way of life is directed by Jesus. Look at verse 20 through 22. So he describes the old way of life and he says, but that is not the way you learn Christ. The Ephesians have been converted. They have become Christians. They learned Jesus, who Jesus is, and they put their trust in Jesus. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13, they were sealed with the Holy Spirit when they believed. They had become believers. They learned Christ. They trusted Christ. They experienced grace. They were, uh, Ephesians 2.8, they were saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And they learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard Him or heard about Him uh, and were taught in Him. You see, Jesus is Lord of our lives now. He, he gets to call the shots in our lives. We bow our knee to Him. He's not only our Savior, but He's our Lord. And He's not only our example in how we should live, but He's also the one who empowers us to live like He's called us to live. You've heard about Him and you were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. And that truth sets us free when we come to know it and believe it and internalize it and apply it to our lives. And so Paul goes into to practical, practical ways to walk this out now. If you're going to follow the way of Jesus... Okay? You need to put off your old self, which, assumingly, this has happened when we became Christians. We died. And our, our old lives died, and, and, and we, we have this new life in Jesus. Okay? So that happens at conversion, but there's this ongoing process that can, continues to happen in renewing our minds and saying no to sin and saying yes to Jesus in His way. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, which is corrupt through the deceitfulness, the deceitful desires. And then the new way of life is described in verse 22 as righteousness and holiness. This is the way of Jesus. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Now, I know righteousness and holiness aren't popular words, and they're not liked by many within our culture. They, they, sing, they seem a bit outdated to many, and old and outdated. But they're good words that the Bible uses to describe God, and to describe God's people and how God's people are to live. <clears throat> Again, I want to point out, that this righteousness and this holiness isn't from us merely mustering it up by, by, by uh, willpower, by trying to do good and trying to be righteous in and of ourselves. Jesus has made us righteous through His perfect sacrifice. And we've put our faith in Him and He counts us righteous. He's made us holy through the blood, the, the perfect sacrifice that His blood shed for us. We've been made righteous. So positionally we're righteous before God, we're holy. We're to, to be a saint means to be those who are holy, those who are set apart. So positionally that has happened. Ephesians chapter 1. Now if you're good, I think if Christians are going to successfully walk this out in in practice then we need to we need to be secure in knowing our position and who we are in Christ which is based on grace. And our practice successfully living out the Christian life is energized by grace. Amen. We still need God and we're still dependent upon Him. We're looking to Him for strength, for guidance, for an empowerment. Notice how he describes this life of righteousness and he describes it as uh, be renewed in the spirit of your minds, which implies there's a process. There's a process of renewal that's ongoing for us. It's not just a one-time change your mind. There's areas in our thoughts, in our thought patterns, where we need our thinking changed. And this is key. You know, therapists and psychologists and counselors, they they realize, and there's a lot of emphasis on this, they realize that if somebody's life is going to change, there needs to be a change in the thinking patterns. Like, this is so key. And the Bible said this many years before counselors discovered this, right? The new way of life is developed by renewing your mind. It's described as righteousness and holiness, but it's developed by the renewing of your minds. Verse 20. Those of you who know your Bibles well are familiar with Romans chapter 12, verse 2, which says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This word transformed is similar. It's where we get the Greek word is, uh, is where we get our word metamorphosis, right? With with children, you've seen the, the, the metamorphosis that takes place, metamorphosis that takes place with caterpillars to to butterflies. There's this transformation that's so beautiful, but there's this there's this process. And there's this time of struggle, you know, in, the, in, the, in its little cocoon, right? And then poof, it blossoms, right? And this is a picture of the Christian life blossoming. God has changed us. God has changed us. And we're being changed by Him. And one of the key parts of that change, the necessary ingredients of that change, is having our minds renewed. See, that's why there is such a fight for our thoughts, for, for the, in the, the battlefield of our minds. Jesus prayed in John seventeen seventeen. Father, sanctify them by Your truth. Your Word is truth. Keep them from the evil ones. Sanctify them by Your truth. Jesus knew that His followers needed the, the truth of Scripture to renew the minds of His followers so that they can be sanctified, set apart as holy In their practice. In your practice. In my practice. And so that's why we commit ourselves to daily Bible reading. That's why we have Bible reading plans and we resolve to spend time in the Word of God because we want the influence of what God says about us, about life, about Himself. We want His influence to dominate in our lives. Not social media. Not news media. Not our... The Mandalorian in our favorite TV shows. We don't want to be conformed to this world. And so as we're confronted with thoughts and ideas in this world, we have to consistently filter those through the Word of God. What does God's Word say about the way? Let me tell you about the way of Jesus. It's, and it's countercultural. It's different. Okay? It's different than the way of the world. So don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to to, to discern what is God's will. You'll be able to clearly understand and see and, 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 and you'll discover that His will is good and acceptable and it's perfect. A lot of folks talk about the will of God as something like, oh, I hope God doesn't call me to do this or that. Because I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I like that. Well, His will is good and perfect and acceptable. And if He calls you to it, it's going to be good and acceptable and perfect. And so we can surrender to His will and to His way. The new way of life, the Jesus way, is developed by the renewing of our minds. One commentator says this uh, about this. Perhaps the best view... Perhaps the best view is that it refers to the principle that regulates or controls the mind. In this sense, the spirit of the world is the principle that controls the world or makes it what it is. Thus, the spirit of the mind is not just mental ability, but the power that controls and directs the abilities. Paul means that our entire way of thinking and what controls our thinking needs renewal. We need to think in line with God's thoughts as revealed in his word. Paul also, in, in, in talking about putting off and putting on, he, he uses the analogy of old garments, old raggedy garments and new garments. Those of you who, who have received uh, Christmas clothes, uh, gifts as clothes for Christmas, you've been given new clothes, you put them on, right? You enjoy wearing a new outfit. Uh, and then there's old clothes that are that are old and, and stinky and holy or, or whatever, that, that, that you, you put them off, and you put on the new, or the ones that don't fit anymore because of the holidays, you have too many Christmas cookies, right? And so you have to put on the ones that fit you and the ones that are appropriate, And for Christians, the appropriate dress for us. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul has a parallel passage and he describes the clothing that we're to put on. Kindness and humility and patience and love. We're to put these things on and put off the old garments of immorality, of greed, of lust. Put those things off and put on the new. Um, J.D. Greer, in talking about gospel change, he says this, he says, the Spirit of God using the story of God to make the beauty of God come alive in our hearts. Here's gospel change. Here's how it happens. Here's what it looks like when you, when you look at the book of Ephesians. It's the Spirit of God using the story of God. That's the gospel. Okay? To make the beauty of God come alive in our hearts. See, that's a distinction in Christianity. You see, holiness is empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's not our self-righteousness and our mere willpower. Philippians 2.13, God works in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. And so we have this new power as Christians. We have a new identity. We have this new power. Power that is available to us as Christians, and we also have these new practices that we walk out as we follow the way of Jesus. This is the way. JD Greer says gospel change is fundamentally a change of desire. Gospel change is fundamentally a change of the des- a desire. You know a lot of people during this time of year are focused on external changes. External ch- changes tend to fade quickly. They tend to we tend to run out of gas quickly when it comes to the external changes. But gospel change is an internal change. It's a change from the inside out. And as Christians, that's where we put our focus internally in our minds, in our hearts. Okay, not just the external behavior that other people can see, but the internal behavior that God sees, the internal desires and thought patterns that God sees. And that's where we fight sin. We have to fight sin at that level. Gospel change begins with sight, he says. It begins with sight. You see, Paul, before he unpacks the way for Christians to live, he unpacks what Jesus has done for Christians to to, to rescue us, to redeem us. We were dead in our sin, and, and Christ made us alive by His grace. He chose us before the foundation of the world. That's grace. Okay? And He's made us who we are by grace. And, and He says, you know, this is who you are. Now live like it. You were once, in Ephesians 5, He says, You were once darkness. Now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Amen. Okay? Now Jesus does the same thing in, in, in the Sermon on the Mount. When He says, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. Let your light shine before men. Okay. Actually, as you read through the, the moral instructions that the Apostle Paul gives us here, we hear the echoes of Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus taught about the way, His way, the kingdom way, and His kingdom ethics. Gospel change, J.D. Greer also points out, gospel change is intimately connected to a person. Okay. You've learned the way of Jesus. You've heard the truth about Jesus. You've been taught about Him. You've come to know Him. And that's our vision here. That's our vision here, to know Jesus. We want to know Him deeply, intimately, and accurately. And He's the basis for what we believe and how we live our lives. You see, Paul roots gospel practice... With gospel theology, Paul he, he connects he connects one our, our our the way we're to live with what we believe, our behavior with our beliefs, our practice with the person of Jesus. And starting in verse twenty-five, the Apostle Paul gives about five different five or six different um, practical expressions of how we can live this out. Okay, and you'll hear. Uh, The Ten Commandments echoed in here, and you'll hear Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount connected here. Kids, I want y'all to listen up here, okay? This is important. Don't tell lies, but rather speak the truth. Verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Okay? So the way of Jesus involves us. Speaking the truth, because Jesus is the truth and the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And we have believed the truth and the truth has set us free. And Satan is a liar and Satan is deceitful. And we we are no longer living under his kingdom of darkness. We're in the kingdom of God. And so we value truth. We speak the truth. We cling to the truth, even when it hurts and even when it exposes our sins and our failures and exposes the sins of those around us. We embrace the truth. And notice he gives a reason here. He gives theological basis for speaking the truth in Christian community. Okay? He doesn't just say, stop lying, as I mentioned last week. The Bible gives us the why behind the what. Okay? The Bible doesn't just give us moralism. Okay? Where it just gives us moral ethics for us to, to live by without giving us basis. For living those, those, those ethics. At the end of verse 25, he says, for we are members of one another. Now, he's already mentioned this at the beginning of chapter 4. We're part of the body of Christ. So when you're deceitful and when you lie, okay, you're, you're, you're attacking a part of the body of Christ. Your lie, your sin is not done in a vacuum. It affects those around us, around you. And when we're in the body of Christ, we're, we're in a family, and we're in the body. There's one body. There's one Lord. There's one baptism. There's one faith, right? He says in, in the beginning of chapter 4. And so we're to speak the truth to one another. We're to love the truth. Next is, we're to, to don't, don't lose your temper, but rather control it and resolve it. Verse 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. This is a matter of holiness. Okay? A lot of times when we think holiness, we think of just sexual purity. It's more than that. Okay? What we see here within each of these instructions that Paul gives, they have to do with relationships. They have to do with relationships. Okay? And, and so, so here he says, be angry and do not sin. Now, there, there is a place. There is a place in the Christian life for anger. Okay? God God gets he's slow to anger, and he's wired us to have the capacity to get angry about injustice and sin and things that are wrong. Sometimes it would be wrong if we weren't upset about certain things that happen to us or our loved ones in the world, right? Okay? But, but here Paul says be angry and don't sin. Don't let your anger get control of your life. Don't let it dominate and lead you to sin. And rather, resolve it promptly. Okay? Control it. Don't let it get control of you. And he gives, he gives a theological reason why here. He says, give no opportunity to the devil. When we, when we allow anger to dominate in our hearts and our minds and our emotions, we give an opportunity, a foothold to the devil Kids, you know, if, uh, if you're trying to get into your brother or sister's room uh, and they're trying to keep you out, they're holding the door, but you get your foot in there, you've got a foothold to get into the room. And once you get your foothold in there, you can just kind of work your way there. And so, so there's, there's, a, there's a warning here that, that the Apostle Paul is giving. Don't give the devil room to bring destruction and wreak havoc in your life, in your relationships. By, letting, by resolving anger. Resolve anger promptly so that say, Satan doesn't have a heyday in your life and in your relationships. Uncontrolled anger is toxic to relationships. It's destructive. We say things, not only with our words, but with our facial expressions that just wound deep. And moms and dads, we don't want our kids to, when they look back at ra- being raised up in our home, we don't want them to look back and think, "Mom was always angry, or Dad was always mad." I I didn't feel I I, I couldn't tell Mom or Dad this or that because I thought Mom was going to get upset or Dad was going to get upset. Our God is slow to anger, and we need if we, the way of Jesus is to control our anger and resolve it promptly. Don't let it dominate our lives. I mean, when you think about Jesus, yeah, Jesus got angry, but did anger characterize Jesus' life and ministry? Was He always going around like, oh, you foolish disciples, what's wrong with you? Was He always just disappointed and, and angry and, and, and mad? Now, he there were moments where He got upset, okay, but that didn't characterize His life. And it shouldn't characterize the life's, of His disciples either. The next thing is don't steal. Now, these, these things are so obvious and so simple and so plain. We know we shouldn't do these things, but they have to be said because because these things still happen. These things still happen in churches where people know better and people aren't living out their identity as Christians. And there's various ways that we can uh, apply this in, in biblical integrity Uh, when it comes to stealing, he says, uh, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Theft really is, is rooted in laziness. Laziness and greed. People steal because they're greedy and they're just lazy. And so Paul calls followers of Jesus to work hard, and to share with others. Work hard. Instead of stealing, instead of taking what's not yours, which is the eighth commandment. And the ninth commandment was don't lie. Um, he says, don't steal, but work hard. That you might have something to give. That you might that you might be generous. That you might have something to share with others who are in need. Notice the theological, the theological connection here. He doesn't say just don't steal. He says... Work with your hands so that you might have something to give. See, God has created us to reflect Him. We're created in His image, according to His His likeness. And Paul alluded to this in uh, Ephesians chapter four. We're, we're created according to the likeness of God in true righteousness and true holiness. Okay. But something went wrong with creation in Genesis 3, and we we have fallen short of reflecting the glory of God through our being. All of humanity has sinned and fallen short. But through the gospel of Jesus Christ and through the finished work of Jesus Christ, we're created anew. We're made new creations in Christ Jesus. And we're being renewed by the by the renewal of, of our mind. We're being changed and transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so we need not only we not only need to know how we should practice, but we need to know the why, the theological why behind God's calling us to not steal, because we need to be generous like God's generous. This is the way. This is who God is. And next is, uh, don't use your words to corrupt, rather to build up. Now, this is interesting here, because one of the first things we, we learn about God in Scripture is that God is a God who speaks. And with His words, He creates life. He imparts blessing and life. And He, and he, he creates what's good. He does good with His words. And Paul says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Notice how Paul connects this, uh, connects these instructions with, with the Trinity, with Jesus, okay, with the Holy Spirit, And then at the beginning of chapter 5, with God the Father, imitate God as as beloved children, imitate him by walking in love. And and so Paul's giving us some theological basis for why we are to follow the way of Jesus. For in, in explaining how we are to live, he gives us the why behind it. He doesn't just say, Stop it. Get right. He teaches us the way and He teaches us why we should walk in this way. And our words have power. The things that we say have power. And we can, uh, Proverbs 18.21, uh, it says that life and death is in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Okay? Words have a way to destroy or to build up. Words have the capacity to direct in delight or to destroy and we want to be those who are conduits of God's gracious work in the lives of others we want to speak his words of grace we want to speak his heart we want to speak his truth I mean have you ever thought about that that your words have the capacity to impart grace to another person through something you say an encouraging word Paul says uh Only speak what's good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. You can give grace to somebody by the words that you say, or you can give condemnation and destruction and pain and confusion and deception. We want to be here at City Church. We want to be people who give grace to others. Jesus is full of grace and he's full of truth. And we want to speak His words into the lives of others. And then here, you know, we have the capacity to grieve the Holy Spirit with our attitudes and our actions. We have the capacity to grieve the Spirit of God who lives in us with unholy actions and attitudes. We can make the Holy Spirit sad and grieve the Holy Spirit. And we don't want to do that. We want to honor God, the Spirit, Jesus, the Father. We want to honor Him. By walking in a way that 's consistent with how he 's designed us, lastly i 'm almost almost to an end here don 't be bitter and harsh, but rather be kind and loving. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender hearted forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and he gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Again, notice how Paul is rooting how we are to live as Christians in the gospel and in the person of God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay? He says don't be bitter, and full. don't be bitter and harsh, but be kind and loving. Think about the way God has treated you. He's treated you and I better than we deserve. And that's grace. And we are to treat others better than they deserve. Our tendency is to treat folks as as we think they deserve. As they deserve and as we think they deserve. But God's way of dealing with us in the family of God is treating us better than we deserve. Grace. Grace and mercy as Christ has forgiven you, be kind to one another. Be tender-hearted to one another, forgiving one another. As Christ has forgave you, you must forgive. And that's what we're about here. Knowing Jesus and loving people. We want to walk this out. And Jesus is the basis for that. The gospel is the basis for us living like that. Lastly, don't be immoral and vulgar. Rather, thankful and holy. In verse Three of chapter 5 he says but sexual immorality in all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place but instead let there be thanksgiving okay Notice this contrast here. Instead of living impure and unrighteous and and unholy with, with crude joking, with filthiness, with foolish talk, be thankful. Out of your mouth, let thanksgiving come out of your mouth for the good things that God has brought to you and to those around you. When we fail to give God thanks, and we fail to thank others, we fail to see the goodness that God has brought into our lives. And there's lots of it all around us. We tend to focus on the negative. We tend to focus on the glass half empty instead of the glass half full. And God has made it clear in Scripture that God's way for our lives, His will for our lives, is that we live lives of thankfulness. This is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. And so look at, let's just look at this here. Here's ten motivations for holy living that we find in this section of Scripture. One is the, destructive, the destruction and destructive path of the old way of life. We don't want that. Okay? You've come to know Christ. You've heard Him. You've been taught in Him. You've been, you've been taught the way of Jesus. You've come to know Him. But Jesus said, "This is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. You come to know Jesus. Okay, you are a new creation. You've been created anew. We are members of one another. We're the body of Christ. We're the we're the family of God. So be careful how you treat how you treat some somebody else within the body of Christ, because it's it's like if you." If you wound them, it's like wounding your leg. It's like a wounding, wounding a part of your own body. Okay? Because we belong to one, or the, the body of Christ. And then we can, you can give the, the, an opportunity to the devil to destroy in your life. Uh, you, can, <clears throat> you can have something to give to those in need. You can impart grace through your words. You can greet the Holy Spirit with your words and your actions. The Spirit in you. The Spirit dwells in you and He has sealed you. Okay, the latter part of verse 30. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. God lives inside of you. That's motivation for us to live holy living. Paul talks about this First Corinthians chapter 6 when he's, when he's encouraging the, the, the Corinthian Christians to live sexually pure lives. He says, you are the temple of God. You've been bought at a price. You're not your own. So live holy. Live righteous lives that reflect The glory of God. The Spirit dwells in you. Lastly, Christ has forgiven you and treated you with grace and mercy. So let's do that with others. Amen? And so let me land the plane here uh, with a couple points of application. That latter half of what we just went through was all application. We could have just made that the application section. Really, That was application, right? And, And that's kind of how Paul set up the book of Ephesians where he gives doctrine within the first three chapters and he unpacks gospel truth, grace. This is what God has done. And then he gives us how Christians are to walk it out, the way in which we're to live. This is our response to God's grace. This is our responsibility as Christians. So chapter four through six, he gives us our response. And the response is rooted in what God has done already. We're responding to what God has done. So here's some application, three, three application points. Renew your mind by daily reflecting on God's word. Establish a Bible reading habit. Daily reflect on God's word. Read God's word. I mean, you don't, you don't easily forget that you didn't eat one day, do you? Does anybody, for, do you, anybody, does anybody go a whole day with, with like, gosh, I haven't eaten anything today. Normally that doesn't happen for me. By lunchtime, I know that I haven't eaten during the day. By dinnertime, I know that I haven't eaten during the day. And just like our physical bodies need food, our spiritual in, in being needs food as well, needs nourishment. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. God's words are nourishment to our spiritual being. And we need a daily habit of Feasting on the Word of God and allowing His Word to wash us, to influence us, to shape us, to lead us into following the way of Jesus. Next is address sin internally, not merely externally. Okay? We can approach this moralistically and legalistically and just try to clean up the external behaviors. Okay? Uh, Parents, as we are trying to lead our children, We have to address behaviors, right? But we know, as parents, we know that it's not just the the external behaviors that we want to address. We want the heart to be addressed. The why, the drive behind it. And so we have conversations about that. Why, Why did you do that? What were you thinking? What was going on? Okay, because we care about the heart. God cares about the heart. Jesus cares about the heart. He spoke to heart issues. He spoke to ways people think, wrong ways that people think, wrong thinking patterns. He said stuff like, if you look to lust after a woman, you commit adultery in your heart. Like many of the Pharisees were like, well, we've never committed adultery before. But Jesus says, well, if you look to lust after a woman, you commit adultery in your heart. He's after our hearts. And we have to address sin at the heart level, the internal level, the the, 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 the when. So let me just give an example. If I have a sinful thought that is wrong, that's lustful, greedy, uh, unloving, judgmental, if I have a thought like that and I entertain that thought, if I start thinking about that thought more than ten seconds, I am going to confess that as sin. Because I've let that, once I realize what's happening, I'm going to acknowledge, God, this is sin. Would you forgive me? i 'm not going to give any place to this this thought, this sinful thought that has come my way now if, it's, if it just comes my way and I realize in, immediately that I had a sinful thought, I take that thought captive and I, I see it as a fiery dart from the enemy. Not every thought that we have originates from ourselves and so so but if I allow Satan to put in a DVD in my mind or an audio. Uh, CD in my mind and I'm listening to these sinful thoughts then I'm going to confess this is sin this is wrong I'm not going to wait until there's behavior that comes out and acting upon those thoughts until I confess it as sin I'm going to address it at the heart level at the, where, where I have let the sin in and this is how we have to deal with sin if we're going to effectively do so because we believe that God sees here, not just externally. Everyone else sees externally. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And so the way of Jesus is dealing with the issues in our hearts where we create idols and we desire things that we know is wrong. And so we have to deal with those desires before those desires grow into this huge gorilla that's overtaken our lives. We address it at the, at the heart level, at the desire level, at the thought level. And then, lastly, pursue holiness with others who are serious about following the way of Jesus. Okay, we, we, we not only need God in this process, we need one another in this process. We need to be known by one another. We need to confess to one another and ask for prayer for, uh, for, from, from others. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, flee youthful lust. Flee youthful lust and pursue righteousness. Faith, love, and peace along with those who call out on the Lord with a pure heart. There's there's a verse on holiness right there. It's not just fleeing. It's not just putting off. It's putting on. Okay? Flee youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with others who are calling out on the Lord with a pure heart. That's what we want to do in 2021 flee youthful lust, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who are calling out on the Lord with a pure heart. We want to pursue God and His way for our lives, His design for our lives. We want to renounce sin. Amen? So let me close. I've gone over time. If you guys would bow in prayer with me. If the Lord has brought to your attention any area of sin that he wants to bring change and cleansing to, right now is a great time to to quietly confess your sin to him and ask him for help. Because we can make great goals and, and have some great resolutions for 2020. But but if Jesus doesn't empower those, if he doesn't help set those and empower those we're going to fail hard. And so, Lord, we acknowledge that we need you. As you said in John 15, apart from you, we can do nothing. We acknowledge, God, that you have provided grace for our weakness, grace for our sin and our failure, grace for us to be who you've called us to be and do what you've called us to do. And so, Lord, would you search our hearts, search our lives, and reveal any hurtful way within us. And would you lead us in the way everlasting. Lead us in your highway of holiness, Jesus. Lead us on your path of righteousness, Jesus. For your namesake, lead us into your way for our lives. Your design, and we say it's good It's acceptable. It's perfect. God, may we fall in love with you more in 2021. And may we hate sin more and address it in our lives more. And may we love and enjoy you more. May we love one another more. May we live on mission with you more. Lead us into your will. Lead us into your way, we pray.